Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. and welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic, presented by BetMGM. I'm Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Iyer. Last Red Wings game was uh, a lifetime ago now. It was all the way back on last Thursday. It was the Svechna Cup, as coined by one of our listeners. Uh, I think it's at the Iser plan on Twitter. Came up with that. I like that. I had previously been going with the Svechnikov Bowl. Andre won, as predicted. Caroline is a better team. Andre was very good in that game. Uh, Evgeny did get a point. I believe he got an assist uh, in that one. Uh, but kind of the story of the day was Philip Zadina. He had two goals. He looked very good. And normally we would spend 10 to 15 minutes on this show talking about that. But uh, Prashant, you nailed that one pretty much right on the head the day before when we were recording. You you had a lengthy uh, breakdown of Zadina's season that I kind of think just uh, just holds up at this point. Yeah, I mean, I guess he, he was just tuning in and he figured I should just go ahead, score some goals and make everybody else see it at this point. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it was, it was we were seeing everything else to his game there. I think you were saying that he was starting to drive play. He was looking, you know, pretty confident at even strength. He just honestly needed the on-ice shooting percentage to regress a little bit. And, you know, got a couple <laughs> couple of really nice goals. And, and sure enough, uh I think he started flying and he started basically, you know, coming out with loads of confidence. I thought, you know, his first 30, 40 minutes, uh, you know, his shifts in the first 30 to 40 minutes of the game were outstanding. I mean, he was he was almost at times a little bit relentless with the puck. Him and Manta, I thought, uh, two really, really good games from them. So hopefully it's, uh, it's a sign of things to come because he not only did he go out and score a couple goals, he did it against arguably one of the best teams in hockey, uh, a team that's notoriously difficult to control play against. So uh, I think you have to walk away pretty pleased with his performance. Yes, I think it was six shots on goal when all was said and done. I think four of those were in the first period. He was very dangerous. I think it was his best game of the year. But uh, like you said, a lot of it was just these shots going in uh, when maybe they hadn't before. A couple of perfectly placed shots, one kind of far side, uh, mid to low blocker side, and the other right under the the uh, short side glove side bar for Philip Zadina. Uh, if he can continue to put pucks in those areas, he's going to score a lot of goals in this league. Yeah, I mean, maybe that was the impetus that he needed because I think if you look at a lot of his games this season, people have gotten on him for maybe passing the puck in scenarios where you'd like to see him shoot it. Uh, you know, a lot of two-on-ones and three-on-twos come to mind where, you know, maybe he's trying to force a pass that uh, was a, a lower percentage pass. Obviously, if it's completed, it, it turns into a high-danger chance, but you know, given his shot, you sort of want to see him just fire that puck. And and it's almost like as soon as that first puck went in, everything was on net. Everything was directed towards the net. He was looking shoot first, shoot first, which is honestly what I think a lot of people want to see. So if he can sustain that mentality and continue to play that way, uh, he's going to be a really dangerous hockey player. Yeah. Like I said, normally we'd have spent a pretty good chunk of this episode talking about him and, and about that game. But I, I just really think number one, the game's old enough now that uh, I don't know that either of us remember anything that happened in it outside of Zadina's goals. Um, the Red Wings did lose, I believe it was five, two in the end. Blaschel went with the really early goalie pull, which sometimes another thing we might've otherwise spent quite a bit of time talking about. Um, although we, we've discussed that one at length as well. Um, but since we've covered it in depth and there was a little bit of uh, news today that I think is, uh, maybe a little more worthy of, of kind of the full episode is what I think we'll end up ultimately spending on this. Uh, I think we're going to do that instead. And that, of course, was uh, Chris Johnston of Sportsnet's report that the NHL is proposing changes to the draft lottery. Those changes are teams would be limited to no more than two lottery wins in a five-year period. 
Uh, teams would only be allowed to jump 10 spots with a lottery win uh, and a reduction in the number of picks that the lottery will decide. So basically the number of lottery spots from three to two. Um, and and he's, he reported that those changes were outlined in a memo that was sent to clubs today. Um, of course, they still are subject to uh, approval by the Board of Governors. Elliot Friedman added on um, that these changes would not take effect until the 2022 draft, except for um, the number of picks decided by lottery going from three to two. That would take effect this year if it is approved. This obviously for a team like the Red Wings in, in the state that they are in, uh, not Michigan, but rebuilding. Uh very consequential bit of news. Any draft lottery news is is always, uh, you know, they're one of the four or five teams that are in the immediate term most affected. Of course, at some point, the whole league will be affected by this. Um, it just depends on when. So we just kind of want to take the bulk of the episode today on this and, and really dive into it. So Prashant, I know you put together uh, something that is probably more impressive than most of the papers I submitted uh, in college about uh, where to go with this. So I'll let you start it off. Yeah, I mean, you know, talking about the changes there, I think we'll certainly get into the crux of how they impact the Red Wings and whatnot. But I think it's just sort of important to first understand what the NHL has done in the past and kind of how you end up with where where we're at right now and the NHL's kind of need to to make the change here. So, you know, the draft lottery was implemented in 1995, and honestly, for the first 20 years of the draft, all the way through 2012, it, it went off fine. It was really, at the crux of it, very simple. You had one one winner, and the winner could move up a max of four spots. And that was how the lottery ran from 95 to 2012. You know, not a whole lot of complaints in the way that worked until the final three years of that, where in 2010, 2011, and 2012, the Oilers picked first. And so, you know, to try and drive a little bit of TV entertainment, excitement, and maybe not let the Oilers win as many of these, uh, they the NHL decided to make a change. Okay, we'll have one winner, but we're not going to limit the number of spots you can move up. So still only one lottery. But at that point, between 2013 and 2015, anyone who won could move all the way up to first. And then, of course, what happened was the Oilers won again in 2015, and they they win and they land Connor McDavid coming from third to first. And so, again, the NHL makes another change and says, all right, we need to find a way to combat this tanking that's happening because a lot of it was driven by that 14-15 season where it was the McDavid lottery. Uh, you know, at times, fans in Buffalo were rooting for them to give up goals against and you know, the NHL really didn't like this look and really decided they were going to crack down on tanking. And so from 2016 to present, we've kind of seen the current system here where there are actually three lotteries. There's a lottery for first overall, a lottery for second overall, and a lottery for third overall. And there's no limit on the number of spots that these teams can jump up. And so over the last five years of looking at this lottery, you've almost seen the NHL swing so far the other direction where maybe they're not actually doing enough to help the teams that are really struggling. You know, in 2016, Winnipeg goes from sixth to second and they get Patrick Laine. Uh, You know, 2017, Philly goes from 13th to second. They get Nolan Patrick. Dallas goes from eighth to third and they get Miro Heiskanen. You know, the Devils go from fifth to first. So actually your bottom three teams in 2017 didn't, draft in the top three. And then, you know, you go to 2018, Carolina jumps up from 11th to second and they get Andre Svechnikov. And then 2019, you know, Chicago jumps from 12th to third. They get Kirby Doc. In 2020, you know, we see this Team E uh, that was ultimately the New York Rangers who were, quote unquote, the 12th best odds. They jumped to first and are ending up with Alexi Lafreniere. And so now you've almost come into a scenario where, we're not helping these teams enough. And that's kind of brought the NHL to this state where, well, how do we combat this tanking while still helping the teams that need it the most, the ones that are finishing at the bottom of the league? So, you know, Max, I'm curious as to your thoughts on, do you think this goes far enough to swing maybe back towards the middle in terms of helping teams that are finishing in the bottom? Because, you know, when we talk about a team like Detroit over the last four lotteries, they've dropped eight spots. And including last year going from first to fourth in what was a ultimately very consequential draft. 
Yeah, I, I think Detroit is one of the three teams that have suffered the most. And maybe I am having a little bit of a recency bias here, but it's a fairly recent thing. So I, I feel I feel like uh, this is correct. Detroit, Colorado, and Vancouver would probably be the three that have suffered the most as a result of this. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Colorado once organically and once by way of the Ottawa pick, which is actually the reason that I did not include Ottawa, is that when Ottawa uh, really dropped the most, Colorado owned their pick. So that was the, the the pick that became Bowen Byram. Colorado also had a pick that went from first to fourth. That became Kale McCarr. I'd say they did just fine uh, in that year. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ottawa ends up, you know, they have the Brady Kachuk, I think was, they didn't drop too far that year, two or three spots or, or no, one or two spots, I should say. Yeah. I think one, one or two spots. I can't remember for sure offhand, but I think it was one or two spots. And then they had their pick last year, two to five was Jake Sanderson, but they also had the Sharks pick that did hold. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to lump Ottawa in there, they've been one of the worst teams in the league and haven't got a first or second overall. I, I would not argue it, but, um, you know, those three or four teams I think have been injured the most. And that's one reason why we're spending so much time right now talking about, um, this proposal, which hasn't been, hasn't been approved yet. So that's important to remember. Um, I also, I thought it was, uh, interesting that there's still no update on the timeline of the draft, which I think a lot of GMs would say is just as urgent a, a decision, if not more so with the trade deadline coming up. Uh, I don't mind this proposal. I, I'm, I'm still not wild. Have we said what the, yeah, we, I've said what the proposal was. I don't love the capping the number of times you can win the lottery. I, I think a lot of the, um, you know, issue with that could otherwise be covered by the a number of spots you can move up in a, in a given year. Um, you know, ultimately if you, you know, the Edmonton Oilers are, are the team that I think, you know, like you mentioned, won so many of these in a row, but they also were that bad. Like, yeah, I don't, you know, especially once they've even had, uh, you know, they've dry sidled McDavid, they've gotten out of that spot. You know, it, it, it's not like they continue to, um, scrape the very bottom. Sometimes they've crept back into, you know, Philip Broberg territory. I think they took him eighth overall, but it, it's really since, since they hit on one of these really good players, um, they haven't been down there. I mean, they were, they were there for Yakupov who busted. They were there for Hall who ultimately they traded and they were there for Nugent Hopkins who, you know, ultimately he was a first overall pick. He was not a franchise player. And so um, that gets into kind of one of my key concerns about this is by by capping the number of times you could win it in a in a short time frame, um, this proposal, if enacted, could ultimately uh, induce a lot of heartache in fan bases by winning the lottery in the wrong year. Now, again, this wouldn't be in place for this year. Um, and, and Elliot Friedman, uh, like I said, reported that these wouldn't go into effect for 2022. And sorry, I, I don't know if I said this. Previous lottery, lottery victories would not count toward a team's total. So if the team that wins the lottery this year, if these are enacted, would not then have already done one of their wins for five years in the proceed, in, the, in the succeeding five years. That I think is relevant. But but let's just say that, that, that they had been in effect for this. You know, this might not be a year a team would want to win the lottery um, and have it count for one of those two that it can pick in the top two. I do think a lot of that is offset by reducing the number of lottery spots so that if you're the worst team or the second worst team and you've already won the lottery twice, okay, you're still only picking third or fourth. Like at some point that's still pretty good and it still would be a lottery spot if it's third overall. If you're the worst team and you've already won the lottery twice, um, you, you're still going to pick in what would have been a lottery spot before. I think that does assuage some of those concerns. Um, but that would be my only real sticking point, I guess. I don't, you know, I, I maybe would go a little shorter on the number of teams that can win, but I also think that ultimately if you're in the bottom, you know, third of the league, I don't think that's a bad place to put the cutoff for lottery eligibility either. I mean, if you, if you last year, I think a lot of people got attached to the idea of seven because seven was the number of teams that were left out of the 24 team, uh, playoff club, uh, that the NHL decided it didn't want to call the playoffs. But in in realistic uh, terms, I, I think the bottom third is not an unreasonable uh, universe for, for lottery teams. I mean, on the flip side, though, when you're talking about the bottom third, you're still talking about a handful of teams that are yeah. a, a handful of points out from the, the playoffs, right? I mean, we almost ended up in a scenario where, again, going back to last year, where the Leafs almost had a... a the first overall pick. In fact, 
their ball was stuck in the thing and then dropped down before the Rangers one ended up going up. I mean, to me, it this just doesn't go far enough. Uh, and, and in fact, I think it makes it more and more convoluted to really pay attention to. I think the let me kind of hit down on, on the things that I have squabbles with. So, Max, I totally agree with you. Being bad at the wrong time is going to kill some of these rebuilds. Imagine you're a team and you won the lottery in 2017, uh, the Nico Hishire and Nolan Patrick draft, and then you win the lottery this year where the talent pools relative to 18, 19, and 20 are just not close. I mean, this year's draft, uh, the guy who's going to go first overall, whether it's you know William Eklund, Matty Beneers, or one of the defensemen, would probably go 10th or 11th last year. Like that that's how big of a gap we're talking about. And so you win the lottery the wrong years, and now all of a sudden you're not allowed to win it. Like if you won in 17 and 20, you don't walk away with a franchise player. Um, and so I think that's a huge problem, like you said, Max. And uh limiting those there, I get the idea of wanting to to prevent tanking, but if you want to prevent tanking then maybe find a way where if a team doesn't have a certain level of success, you have to force certain individuals out. Like just stop hiring Peter Chiarelli and stop hiring some of these guys, right? Like don't don't allow them to continue to run teams if you don't want that to happen. And then the, the second piece for me is that allowing a team to jump 10 spots is still far too much. If you're going to allow a team to go from 11th to 1st, you're talking about a team that was likely within seven points of a playoff spot being able to jump all the way up to first overall, that's a huge problem for me. And again, uh, you know, not only having just that happen, but allowing two teams to do that um, is a big problem. And before people say it's not going to happen, I mean, 2020, the Rangers go from 12th to first. 2019, the Blackhawks go from 12th to third. 2018, the, the Hurricanes go from 11th to second. And 17, the Flyers go from 13th to second. It happens every draft. And of all of the past five drafts, that 10-pick cap versus being unlimited would have only prevented two of those jumps. It would have prevented the Rangers from going 12th to 1st, and it would have prevented the Flyers from going 13th to 2nd. But they still would have gone to 2nd and 3rd. Right, you still would have gone to 2nd and 3rd, and you wouldn't have prevented any of the other ones. So it's just like, to me, that doesn't go far enough uh, to, to do this. And getting jumped twice is significant. I mean, in 2015, would you rather have Connor McDavid or Dylan Strome? That's the difference between first and third in that draft. That's a huge difference. Um, that's a chasm of a difference there. You know, there's a difference between Austin Matthews and Pierre-Luc Dubois, if you want to use a, a less egregious example. I mean, to me, there's just there's too many issues where it's still not going far enough to help these bad teams because I think the NHL has simply just latched onto this idea that teams are actively tanking, they're actively trying to be bad, and we can't have tanking be a thing. I'll tell you this, Detroit was not trying to tank last year, and they put an almost NHL record bad season, arguably the the worst team of the last 30 years, and not helping them out in that regard is, is doing them a disservice because, again, the best way to build a hockey team is through the draft. So why not reward those teams that recognize it um, that are still at least attempting to compete. And so I think it's a fine line, but I think this still doesn't go far enough to help the teams at the bottom that really need it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Here's what I'll say in defense of the number of spots you can move up. You mentioned some of these teams, Philly, 
Chicago, Carolina. I'm less sympathetic for the Rangers. Um, these are teams that, had they not won that lottery, may have at some point had to kind of tear down. And I think maybe it's not so much disincentivizing tanking because bad teams are are going to be bad no matter what. But it does kind of allow or put a situation in place for teams. And, and I think the Minnesota Wild are the team that always comes to my mind with this. Um, but uh, teams who are in that middle that is so hard to escape from. It's really hard to free agency or trade your way from the the, the middle, the very bubble of the playoffs, whether you're in or out to contender status. Uh, it's very hard to do that. And kind of if, if, if you can't do that and you can't do it organically either, then what we've kind of learned is that the the logical choice at that point is to then tear it all down this does and has created a way for teams to escape that. Now, the Flyers, when it happened to them, it actually didn't work like that. Like They they did get out of their mediocrity, but it wasn't because of Nolan Patrick. It was just because of, of other prospects they had coming up. So maybe that's a counterpoint. With Carolina, I think Andrei Svechnikov is a huge piece that allowed them to turn the corner from a team that was, I think, going to consistently be a playoff team to a team that I would now call a, a bona fide Stanley Cup contender. I like that there's an avenue for that for a team that you know maybe maybe Carolina didn't get their their top picks at the right time, you know. And I'm trying to think who they all got. Hannafin was one of them. Was Skinner one of theirs? I think he was. Yeah, I mean Jeff Skinner was a pick there. I mean Noah Stahl, Hannafin, Elias Lindholm. No, Jordan Stahl was a, a Pittsburgh pick. Yeah, um, but you know Elias Lindholm was another guy there. Right. Uh, you know, so Kachuk. No, yeah. Chuck was Cal- was Calgary. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I mean they had some picks. They had some guys that uh, you know certainly could have developed in in that regard. But they they didn't knock their you know top ten picks out of the water for sure. Right. And so so it allows a, another avenue for a team that is no longer one of the worst teams in the league, but still not close enough to being a contender to add that piece that gets them over the top. That's the, the, the thing I would say in defense of that element of this is I like that a team that is, is, is you know, maybe, you know, in a way that most bottom three or four teams aren't, that actually is one really great prospect away. I like that an avenue exists for them to get that while still not having to tear it down, while still making a push in a given year. I like that. Yeah. And I mean, with the way the lottery is set up, it's a reasonable strategy to be a team that's mediocre, right? And because right now, to me, the NHL system does a really good job of rewarding mediocrity. Like, how do you get stuck in mediocrity? I mean, a lot of these teams that are stuck there, I think Carolina is an exception, but they're stuck there because they have bad contracts for aging veterans. They're stuck there because they didn't hit on draft picks when they were towards the bottom, and they're getting a reward to dig themselves out. And I I'm, I just can't be a fan of that when in the current climate for the NHL, the number one way to have sustainable success is by getting it through the draft. And as of right now, we're not at a time place where teams can consistently identify the top players in later rounds. And that's why it's so important to be able to have those top picks. And I think the NHL, you know, giving that avenue for that mediocrity is sort of trying to make sure that you have a dilution of talent across the board, but it doesn't actually work that way. Because what I think it does is it keeps the bad teams bad. Like, what are the avenues for the bad teams to get better if the number one way to get better is through the draft? I mean, I, I think that's the issue I have. And we know the difference between the first and third overall pick. The first overall pick is almost two times more valuable than the third overall pick. And that's just a difference of two. What if it's now four, five, or six, as we've seen um, you know, over the last five years where it's been... Uh, just a substantial drop for some of these teams. So why am I rewarding the mediocre teams that are missing the playoffs that likely have bad cap structure and not actually helping these bad teams get better? You're just keeping you're keeping Buffalo where they are. I mean, you're you're keeping, you know, teams like that down in the basement and not really giving them a way to dig out. Yeah. I'm not sure that it is rewarding any of those mediocre teams though. I mean, like it, it's still it, I think it's still the top four teams or so make up, you know, 50% like that, like more, it's more likely than not that one of the worst four teams is getting the number one overall pick. And yes, there are, there has been a trend where one kind of mediocre team that's, that's better than awful, but still not good has won it. But if you look at the bottom six percentages, like if you're going to, 
you, you're not striving for it, but you, you're also only getting at best one to three percent there um, of a of a shot at this. So, like, yes, it, it does tend that one of those teams in in a lot of years ends up getting a a top three pick, but it it has only been number one, I believe, once. And, uh, and it's still very unlikely that any one team is going to get it. Like, like if you're a mediocre team for five years, you still cannot expect that that, that bounce is coming your way uh, in any given one of those years. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the current climate where we're at right now is you just can't count on these bounces happening. And and that's another thing we haven't really pointed out, but how much the NHL has really adjusted the draft lottery odds over the years. I mean, again, when the lottery was first implemented and and the percentages were assigned back in 2000, first overall had a 25% chance, or sorry, the, the worst team in the league had a 25% chance of first, and then it was an 18.8% chance for second, 142 for third, and 107 for fourth. So almost you know, a sizable chunk. You're talking about north of 60% likelihood that the first overall pick was going to go to one of the four worst teams. Um, and then, you know, in 2015, they revised it down to 20% for first overall. And now here we are sitting with 18.5% for first overall. To me, it just, again, it, it just doesn't go far enough to help a team by telling them you have a less than one in five chance of, I mean, you basically a one in six chance of landing that first overall pick when you were the worst team in the league. Uh, to me, it's just, it's it's not far enough. And I think it's because the league believes that those teams that are there are because of tanking or bad practice or, or whatnot. But to me, this whole idea of tanking is just way, way overblown because at the end of the day, hockey players want to win. You put anybody on the ice and no one's going to go out there and say, okay, yeah, I've been told to lose this game. So I'm going to throw this hockey game. Uh, you can certainly have it at the organizational level where uh, players will basically or basically general managers will go through and they'll say, okay, we're, we're going to make some trades. We're going to tear things down. But again, to me, that's not necessarily tanking as much as it is really a smart idea. Yeah. I mean, tanking for me has never been quite so scary as I think it is for the NHL. And I understand why it is for the NHL because you don't want a situation where, like you mentioned that um, Buffalo situation at, at the top of the show where, you know, uh, you know, teams fan bases are actively rooting for them to lose and, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, certainly the, what the fans want maybe isn't the number one concern of the NHL, but it does make for kind of a bizarre dynamic. And, and you don't want teams to really be incentivized to, you know, let's say call up their you know, AHL backup goaltender in, in, in hopes of just getting that much closer to a Shane Wright in 2022 or something like that, right? You don't want that. But that said, if you're willing to to put up with the 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 anger that you're going to incite from a big portion of your fan base by doing stuff like that, if you're willing to put up with uh, the low ticket revenue from a, a year where no one on earth thinks that you have a chance or even are trying to win, I'm almost okay with you being allowed to make a trade like that, especially knowing that you're still drafting an 18-year-old kid, and no matter how much you think this guy might be McDavid, there's a chance he's Yakupov, and and you're making that trade. I mean, it's 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 kind of the equivalent of like I'm still technically allowed to bet my 401k on you know Michigan to cover minus 14 if I wanted to. I'm allowed to, but I should not do that. But if I want to, no one's gonna stop me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I I completely get it, and and that's where I just think like the the NHL just doesn't really understand what they're doing here. Because um, I mean, if you even if you take a step back and let's just think think about who've been the best teams of the last decade, right? It, it's it's Washington, it's Pittsburgh, it's Chicago, it's Tampa, right? Probably the four best teams of the last decade. How did they all get there? They had multiple top five picks. This is how you build. Right. Yeah. Pittsburgh in 03, they get the first overall pick from Florida. They get Marc Andre Fleury. They get a Guinea Malkin. And then in 05, they win with Sidney Crosby. And boom, you have a dynasty. You know, Chicago, they get Patrick Kane in 2007. They get Jonathan Taves through the draft. And boom, you have a dynasty. I mean, Washington, you get Alex Ovechkin, you get Nicholas Backstrom. And boom, look where you're at. It's It all happens because you have multiple first round picks. Tampa, Stephen. Uh, you know, Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, and boom, you are where you're at. Uh, and so to me, it's just they're isolating this Edmonton situation and really blowing it out of proportion because 
the teams that generate excitement and interest in your league right now are teams that did it exactly the way you're telling them not to do it. And so that that's where just the, the disconnect for me doesn't make sense. I mean, we could have actually been talking about a Florida dynasty because Florida actually won the lottery in 02 and 03 and just happened to trade away both of those first overall picks. Otherwise, they could have had Rick Nash and Marc-Andre Fleury and we'd be talking about something different. But no one's talking about that aspect of teams messing it up. So to me, it's just, this is just way overblown. And at a bare minimum, if I'm the NHL, I go back to the system that I ran with for 18 years. Bottom five teams in the lottery, one team wins, any one of them can go up to first. That's it. That that that's my that's my lottery. If I have to have you know a draft lottery like this, I think at a bare minimum you spot. go back there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think you can almost predict who, what the next wave of uh, NHL powerhouses is going to be with a similar formula to the one you just laid out. I mean, Toronto has been on the cusp for a while this year. You never know because of the Canadian division, but you know, two top four picks in Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Uh, if, if I had to guess one way or the other, I'm guessing that that core gets a cup at some point. I don't know if it's this year or when, but I think they will. Uh, Edmonton with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Who knows? It's a tough situation. They've, they've had these two for a while now, and it hasn't quite popped. But at some point, that's two MVPs on the same team. If you just get enough around them, you could have something really special. And in a couple years' time, let's see how this shakes out. Uh, the Devils and the Rangers. The Devils, two number one overall picks. I'm not so sure he sure really rises to that. He's maybe more of a Nugent Hopkins type of number one overall pick. Um, but we'll see. And then, obviously, the the Rangers uh, with Kako and Lafreniere. You know, we'll see. It, it's two wingers. I think a lot of the ones we've said are either a, involve either a center or a D. And so we'll see. But uh, they're, if, if they if they hit, that's two top two picks. And, and if they're both stars, if they're the players that they were supposed to be on draft night, they're going to be a team to reckon with. Yeah, I mean, Colorado's so, in there too, right? Colorado, Scott, absolutely. McKinnon, McCarr, and Byram. Yep. Those are all yep. top four picks. Absolutely. Like, I can't believe I missed that. Yeah, you know, how, how do you end up, again, being in there? It's because you had four top four picks, right? And now we're, we're trying to put a system in where we don't want them. But, oh, that's actually one of the most exciting teams in hockey. So... <laughs> You know, it just to me, it just it completely goes against what they're actually trying to have. And and again, you want to talk about this goes completely on another tangent here, but marketability of these hockey teams. You know, why is the NBA rising in popularity? It's the generation of these super teams. And and why were the Warriors so popular for so long? They built that entire team through the draft. And and so why is that a bad thing? Like I it to me, it just doesn't make sense. And the NHL is just going against things that uh, should make a lot of sense. But now, importantly, it they would be doing this only with top two picks. So we've talked about some teams that had a first and a third or a first and a fourth overall pick. The third and fourth aren't affected here. Like, if you're the worst team in the league and you've already won two lotteries in the last four years, uh, you know, you can still get the third or fourth overall pick. If you're the worst team, you're going to get the third overall pick. I mean, that still would put you in spot to, to, to be one of these teams that we're talking about, whether it be with Taves whether it be with Backstrom, whether it be with Marner, these are all guys who went third or fourth overall. Yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly a, an avenue if you've got the capacity, but I think in all of those drafts, the, the key, you know, uh, the common denominator is that they're all very heavy talent drafts, right? Like you weren't missing at one, yes. two, three, or four. Again, you come up to this year's draft, you come up to the 2017 draft, uh, you may be missing, right? 2018, third overall is Jesperi Kotkaniemi. I mean, that's a that's a potential miss relative to other third overall picks. It's still very early in his career. So we'll see, um, you know, again, Connor McDavid's draft in 2015. Dylan Strome right. is third overall. And, you know, that's because they missed on Mitch Marner going fourth there. But, right. you know, again, it's it, to me, the third and fourth, again, is a huge step down from first and second. We talked about it from what a GSVA perspective looks like. Again, first overall is worth almost twice as much as third overall over the first seven years of that that contract for that pick. So, you know, it, it, I think third overall and fourth overall, they're nice consolation prizes, but not every team is able to do good things with them. And sometimes it's Dylan Strome and sometimes it's Kale McCarr. And you just, it's hard to say. Do you like it better than the current system? I mean, sure. If I'm picking between a, a, a pig and a pig with lipstick on it, then fine, pick the one with lipstick. But like that, that's what I'm picking between. It's a terrible system either way. Uh, but but sure, it's marginally better. I think that's fair. And I think that's a little bit of the sentiment that I saw 
um, when I went through and I asked people on Twitter for to weigh in because I, I did kind of want to take the temperature of what uh, Red Wings fans thought about all of this. I mean, I, I think that uh, here, here's one sentiment from uh, one of our regular commenters, uh, Beer League Chump. He says, I'm fine with it. It seems better, but not perfect. I can already see there being an issue next year where there are apparently a defined top three of Wright, Lambert, and Savoie finished last. You're guaranteed to do no worse than Savoie. So his point is, does this really even disincentivize tanking to the degree that the league uh, maybe would would ideally have it if, if you have a defined top three? And you could, there's still every reason to tank to guarantee yourself a member of, of kind of a big three. Now, I'll say a year out, I'm not even so sure I'm ready to declare a big three there. And I think there's a couple of NTDP players who uh, could could creep into their that, that group as well. And then it, if, if Savoie does hold up and he is really that good, which we don't know because the WHL hasn't started yet, um, then maybe you're looking at a, at a big four and a big five. And that's just kind of the peril of having an extremely um, – you know, strong at the top draft. Like that's just a peril you're going to have when that happens. Um, but I think he makes a fair point about like, like how much are you actually even like if, if this, if the whole point of a lottery is to disincentivize uh, tanking, which we know it's, it's not the whole point of the draft, but obviously that's why you do a lottery. Does this effectively do that? I think that's a fair point. I mean, to me, you know, my conspiracy theory in all of this is the whole point of having a lottery is for TV money. That's it. Sure. Right. Because like, the lottery itself is a good TV. Right. The lottery, event. everyone tunes in, everyone watches, you make some money. That's why in, you know, in 2013, when they expanded it so that anyone could win, you know, it, it was a TV grab. It was a TV money grab. And so to me, that's the point of the lottery. I mean, sure, the, the talk is always tanking, but I really think it's just about revenue. And and so that that's what the NHL wants is if I put this on TV and I have this, you know, made for TV event where, you know, I have insight, I have this you know, dramatic flipping of the cards and I have to keep everyone on for the whole hour to see it all the way to the end. Like it, it, it's money. So, you know, I just, again, it, 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 it makes it look mild. It's polishing a turd. Here's Andy Edwards. I feel like this is tinkering to appease some voices. If they really mean to improve things, then look at a way to make it really fair. And I think this brings up a topic you and I have, uh, have discussed a couple times in the past that I don't know if we've always given like the, the, the full, full treatment to, but my question always comes back to like, is a draft fair? Is the point of like, what is fair in a draft where you're basically uh, giving the exclusive negotiating rights to a bunch of 18 year olds away? Like what is fair in that context? And what do, what do, what are NHL teams owed in terms of fairness in a draft? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I would say is if you want the perfect system, eliminate the draft. Uh, you know, if you think about the way the NHL does this relative to other leagues, these guys, once they get drafted, lose basically the first decade of their career to the team that drafts them. And that's just mind boggling relative to, you know, the NFL, the NBA, where you're talking maybe three, four years uh, at most, you're talking about almost a decade between when you sign your ELC to ELC slides to being a restricted free agent after the contract expires. I mean, you are legitimately talking about nine years uh, where you are restricted to one team that takes you through the prime of your career before you're really given negotiating rights to be able to do anything else. And so that is entirely unfair to the player. And, you know, so well, how do you fix that? Well, you eliminate the draft. And, and, you know, before people say, well, okay, that's how you get Toronto, Edmonton, or Toronto and New York to basically land all the players. I completely disagree because you're assuming the incentive of every single player is winning. But that's not necessarily true. The incentive could be money. Some teams, you know, with a hard salary cap may be able to offer more. To a, a first overall pick, right? Substantially more money you could throw at, at at your first overall pick and say, hey, you know what? I, I want you to come here and I'm going to give you a contract that's far richer than other teams. And, you know, that's that's a potential incentive. An incentive is ice time. All right. You want to go sign with Tampa? Fine. Enjoy playing 10 minutes a night on the fourth line, trying to find your ice time. I'll put you on the first line right now and we'll get going. And, you know, there's there's so many other things that I think go into uh, where you're going to sign and how you're going to do it. 
that I don't think you need a draft to get there. I think it'll equitably shake itself out with a salary, with a hard salary cap and a salary floor. You're going to find some teams that are able to throw more money around. And, and the incentive for every single guy right now is simply not just winning, but can I, you know, make my money? Can I find a role? Can I, you know, work towards another contract? So to me, let it be an open market and let it sit, let it play out. It won't ever be an open market if there's a salary cap, but I think that is kind of the only tool that, that teams would have at that point to prevent kind of a college football like situation from developing where you end up with only five teams that have a prayer and really only like two, three teams that have a prayer of winning in a given year. Um, I think it would be in the league's best interest to avoid that. And I think really it's an ownership's best interest to, to never allow the, uh, the elimination of a draft. In fact, you're seeing baseball, um, you know, where they have kind of a, a free market like that in the international market. Um, you know, it, it's kind of an open question how long that's really going to be able to allow to stay uh, a bidding situation where it's, it's not pure highest offer gets the player, the player gets to pick. And so you, you try to persuade them with money, you try to persuade them with your, what your organization can do for them. There's something that appeals to me about that, certainly, in that it is the most like uh, any other person's job and they get to have some say in their future and their, their employment situation. Um, but I, I have a hard time seeing it ever happening. But I think it, it, when you look at it from that context of what an actually fair market looks like, it actually gets really hard to weep for anybody, any team about fairness when the whole idea here is you're you're getting exclusive negotiating rights to a really good player, whether that's first, second, third, fourth, fifth choice, that's like an excessively uh good deal for you no matter who it is especially when you consider that their contract is capped for the first uh three to five years that you have them yeah i mean their contract is capped you can move it uh you know a couple years depending on when they sign it you still retain their rights depending on the number of games they play they may not have arbitration rights i mean there's just so much that goes into letting this be team control and it's just like yeah okay we're cool with this I'm cool spending my first eight or nine years of my life, like, you know, as an NHL player on one team. It's just it's baffling that this hasn't been reevaluated and we continue to just find ways to tinker with the draft instead of really addressing like this other major issue here. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. My my guess is um, the league will probably continue to have to tinker with this. I mean, it, it, it's it's not uh, – this situation isn't perfect. I mean, I did see someone who said, uh, you know, it's, it's too convoluted, uh, scrap the whole lottery system, but then punish teams just for tanking. You know, I, I think that's almost more convoluted to try to figure out who is tanking and what tanking looks like. I mean, if if I'm Steve Eiserman, he clearly tried to improve the team this offseason. Um, but at some point, you know, and, and he did, I think. Uh, but at some point, you can also say, 
well, hey, look, like there were there are other really good players who were out there who uh, you could you had the cap space to sign and you didn't. Did you do everything you could have done? Does that constitute tanking in some way? And, and I think those conversations, um, you know, also get really complicated and, and difficult to to figure out um, where where you draw the line. So I don't think it's as simple as just uh, go back to reverse order of uh, of standings and punish tanking. Now, if you want to just talk about going back to reverse order of standings, that's fine. Then that brings us back to where we were in the conversation about, you know, you make this calculated decision, you suffer. This is what happens in the NFL. You suffer, you put your fans through hell. Uh, and there was my bad analogy about betting your 401k, which I would encourage people to never, ever, ever do. Um, but, you know, that that's the situation. You're making a conscious choice to do something really risky and arguably potentially dumb um, because you think that there's going to be a payoff. Um, that's what the reverse order of standings is. And if it encourages some people to to lose, um, you can kind of write it off and say they made the, they, they made the decision. They know their situation. Yeah. And I mean, to me, I don't understand why the NHL has a problem with that, right? Obviously, they they don't want their fan bases to to be, uh, you know, suffering or continuing to be uh, dealing with this. And they think, you know, it's bad maybe for morale and and that you'd like the idea of every team to have the opportunity to win like on day one. But I mean, let's be clear, tanking has a negative connotation when I say it, but tanking is the best way to build a hockey team right now. And so... You know, if a team is making the effort to better their draft odds so that they may improve down the road, that should not be punished. And so if you want to go back to reverse orders and a team wants to be that, you know, team that's going to be at the bottom, it's like you said, Max, they're they're gambling because they're going to lose revenue. They may, you know, and obviously there's revenue sharing and things like that that go into it, which is you know, a whole nother a- avenue to this, but they're going to potentially risk losing their fan base. I mean, you talk about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was on the verge of moving to Kansas City. Like, Pittsburgh was almost out right. of there until they right. win three lotteries, right? And then all of a sudden now you're talking about a dynasty team here. I mean, it's it's stuff like that that can completely change a team. And so you're gambling, but if it works like that, then then let it work. And so to me, I just... I don't have it. I think it's just people being mad at the word tanking uh, and not really realizing that that's a smart way to build a team. You should be selling to constantly bring in assets. I mean, is what OKC is doing in the NBA where they literally own 17 first round picks in the next five drafts? Is that yeah. is that bad? No, that's smart. Everyone is yeah. praising Sam Presti for being super smart. So why is that a problem in the NHL? Right. So to me, it's just it's people getting mad at this word tanking and not recognizing that's the smartest way to build a team. So, well, what it really comes down to is in in the in the fan canon, it comes down to every fan base, I think, wants to believe that they're the one that deserves. And again, we go back to that word, uh, you know, the, the, the special thing, the special player. Um, and, and so that the fans who have suffered say, look how much we've suffered. We deserve something good. And they're right. And the fans who are mediocre and, and maybe toward the back half of the, um, the lottery, uh, just missing the playoffs say, we deserve this. Look how much we're really trying. We're really trying to improve. Uh, we deserve this. And they're right because every fan base deserves good things. Like it's, 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 it's not, uh, it's it's not the kind of thing that there's one true team or fan base out there that deserves Alexi Lafreniere, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, uh, Shane Wright in a couple of years. You know, it, it's every fan base deserves that happiness because they're devoted and and they've either suffered or they're really trying. And and it's it's those two different things. It's like your down on the luck friend deserves a break, and your friend who's really been busting his ass deserves a break. That's this is both true, but there's only one break because you're talking about a person, you know, and that's that's the the difficult situation you're trying to manage. So my point about that is the the dialogue you hear around tanking comes from that idea. That the the people who uh are are fans of teams that are just missing the playoffs can't stand the idea that the Red Wings or the Senators or whoever would get uh you know th- this this top prospect because 
they're not spending to the cap. They're not doing everything they could to try to compete right now. Like these teams that are saving every penny and, you know, wheeling and dealing, trading draft picks to get under the cap. Like, you know, the Red Wings aren't doing that. The Red Wings are sitting patient doing this. They're just waiting for their thing. But at the same time, the fans are suffering. And so you get into this kind of toxic, frankly, conversation where everyone uh, can't decide on who deserves what because everyone's right and no one wants to um, be the team that's kind of left holding the bag. It's it's a really tough situation. And, uh, you know, ultimately when you have a lottery and when you make everything about tanking, these are the kind of uh, things that the conversation devolves to because you do make it depending on this complete intangible of luck. Yeah. I mean, you want my hot take for this? Uh, yeah. My hot take for this is if Steve Tambellini, as general manager of the Edmonton Oilers, didn't botch this rebuild, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. I think uh, you're right. I think that's exactly what it is, is Edmonton, by virtue of failing and then ult- with three successive you know, wins and then ultimately failing and going back in and getting Connor McDavid, to me, that was the last straw for the NHL. And... Had they not done that, had they been successful in putting other players around or making better decisions at the draft, we wouldn't be having this conversation because the NHL wouldn't have changed the system. The NHL changed the system because of the Connor McDavid draft year. And and to me, that's that's the most frustrating part because the problem is not the strategy. The problem is the execution. You should not you should be pointing the fingers at a Steve Tambellini at you know Peter Chiarelli and the guys uh, who ran the Oilers and the guys who've run the Sabres for failing to dig themselves out because right now it is the most viable strategy, but the NHL shows to be punitive towards the strategy and not towards the individuals that actually failed at said strategy. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think ultimately that started this cycle of of endless tweaks that I think is going to have to continue now because at some point. You know, people are going to get dissatisfied with this two and five rule, which I think it, to me is the one that I would take out here. Um, I think they are with the other tweaks that they're making, trying to solve around that. And w- what I would be curious about is, is a couple of different things. Number one, what do you do with a team that doesn't own their pick when it wins the lottery, like a San Jose last year? I know that, that these past results won't be grandfathered in, but let's just say it happens again. And there's another situation because it's happened enough times where, you know, it's, it's Ottawa owning San Jose's pick or Colorado owning Ottawa's pick. That pick wins or loses the lottery or, or whatever. What do you do with a, a team that um, didn't own their pick when it won the lottery? Are they able to win two more or did they just, just fuck up more than they could have possibly imagined by trading that pick? Because not only did they not get that top two pick, but now they can't get another top two pick. I mean, if that happened to San Jose, for example, um, you know, this last pick was like in the year that they just are seemingly realizing they're going to have to rebuild it. Now the rebuild's going to start. And it, again, this would not apply to, to, to these past drafts, but let's just say that it did. I mean, they'd be in bad, bad shape now. Yeah. I mean, if I me stop bailing out bad general managers, if you traded that pick, you are the one who is taking the win for the lottery, even though you're not getting to make the pick. Like, yeah. What, why Why should I bail out a bad general manager who did not have an accurate assessment of his hockey team and ultimately traded a pick that resulted in it being a top five pick and then, oh, lo and behold, you win the lottery with it? That should count against you. Why yeah. would I penalize and, and the good GM? And it punishes a good GM. Right. Why would who, I punish the good pick. GM who made the trade? Right. Like, you know, Sackett getting that pick in the Matt Duchesne deal, that was brilliant. Like, everyone knew it was brilliant in the moment, too. You know, maybe the Eric Carlson trade, you don't know as much in that regard with San Jose. I don't think anyone expected him to bottom out as, you know, disastrously as they did. But still, if you don't have an accurate assessment of your team, why should I bail you out? Like that, that's to me the, the whole crux of the issue with the NHL here is they're, they're constantly bailing out mediocrity and bad GMs and tinkering rules to fix what bad GMs, you know, to, to basically bail out these bad GMs. I and mean, reality it, it punishes smart gms who are doing the right things yeah no I, I mean ultimately if this proposal comes to fruition i think it will be an upgrade i think i i would prefer it if it didn't cap the number of times you could win because again if you're still picking down there it means you're still bad 
and and ultimately, even if I think the draft is is just a weird institution that we have, as much as I love them, by the way, I I love watching drafts. I think it's some of the most fun, uh, you know, media fodder that there is, um, and certainly it's been one of the key parts of my job for the last three years. Um, you know, the, at the core, I think the number one function of the draft is to help bad teams, you know, get going back in the right direction. And so I think if a team is still bad enough to be in that bottom two, maybe you don't want them to win from, you know, the 11 seed, but you can solve that by limiting the number of spots a team can move up more easily than by just capping. Like, I think if you're still in the bottom five teams, despite having two top two picks, you're just still bad. And and maybe it just means that those two top two picks haven't gotten to you yet or something. I, I could see that argument for it, but um, that that'd probably be my one quibble with it, but I ultimately think this would be a improvement uh, for most teams. Yeah, I mean, to that point, Max, I think it also underscores how the NHL doesn't understand how long a rebuild takes. Yeah. Right. I mean, look at all the first round picks from last year. One of them is playing in the NHL. Alexi right. Lafreniere. Two. So, Stutzel. Yeah, sorry. Tim Stutzel. Is, but uh, it's really just two of them playing. So you're going to penalize all the other teams that were in the bottom five that you know, again, you know, you're going to penalize the Rangers. I mean, you should penalize the Rangers, but, you know, would you penalize them or sorry, not the Rangers, the Kings for getting Quentin Byfield, you know, by being able to jump up to two, but then not actually having them that year. So they're still going to be bad. Like it, it takes a while to turn a team around, especially with the timeline for these prospects. So again, I don't, I just don't subscribe to limiting wins to two wins when it may take three, four years to dig out of it. Ultimately, at the end of the day, there's very few teams that have more than, you know, two top two picks on their roster. There are a couple out there. I mean, Edmonton. No, Edmonton only has two, don't they? Yeah. New I Jersey. Mean, at, at this point, you know. Buffalo they, has three. Yeah. Buffalo probably has the most with three. So there's very few that have it. And so my guess is it won't come into play super often. But the team that has it happen first, it's going to feel like, uh, especially if it happens in the wrong year, especially if it happens in like a star-studded class like this 2022 class might be, um, that fan base is going to be really, really upset. And it, it might set them back not just a year, but multiple years, maybe longer than that in their rebuild. Um, you know, maybe you can trade for a pick, I guess, if that happens, or you can. there's other recourses you have. And at the end of the day, you should be able to be a good NHL team and build a good even great NHL team without three number, you know, one or number two overall picks. I just believe that you should be able to do that. But by limiting it kind of arbitrarily, I mean, at that point, I'd almost want to know if teams can decline their lottery win and and slot in where they would have been otherwise if it's in like a year like this and they just would rather, you know, pick sixth than than pick second this year, for example, if it takes away their right from from Shane Wright. I'd almost want them to be able to do that. But I think that would even take you further into you know, toxic tanking discourse. So it's just the the NHL right now to me is just not doing enough. And, you know, again, you know, Max, I know you say you want teams to be able to build teams that don't have a lot of first, you know, that aren't really reliant on that. But I mean, the fact of the matter is if you look at all the Stanley cup champions for the last decade, they're all built this way, really. I mean, aside yep. the, the the Kings are maybe, the, the exception in St. Louis is maybe the other exception, but I mean, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Washington, you know, they're, they're all in this fashion. So it's, it's, it's tough, but right now that's the best way to do it. And so I, to me, it just doesn't make sense to penalize it. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fair point. And I think these conversations will keep happening again. This has not been approved, so we'll see if any tweaks come through. I also really want to know when these, uh, when the 2021 uh, draft is going to be held, um, so those are things that we'll still want to know, you know, hopefully sooner than later. And I think it would be good for the NHL to make these decisions before everyone knows specifically who it really helps and who it really hurts. Although I think the fact that they're not uh, enacting most of this plan, except for the limiting the lottery spots um, this year, again, according to Elliot Friedman, um, does help that consideration a little bit too. So anyway, I think that's all I got on this topic. Anything else you want to add? No, I mean, that's about it. I think we exhausted everything we could talk about. All right. The Red Wings will play the uh, Lightning a couple times this week, Tuesday and Thursday. We'll be back at you after the first of those games. And, of course, uh, if you ever do want to uh, add a little bit of uh, 
personal excitement to those games, you can go on to betmgm.com to make your wagers. That's now legal in the state of Michigan um, if you choose to partake. Either way, though, we'll be back at you here uh, Wednesday night for Thursday, and we'll, uh, we'll be able to recap a little bit of that Red Wings Lightning game for you. We'll talk to you then. 